0: Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be on this journey with you towards product mastery so that together we can learn how to develop products our customers love. Today we're talking about the journey from an initial insight, some surprise, something that we saw a need for, to a launched product. I love product journey stories. And the featured product is InstaFloss, a revolutionary approach to flossing your teeth. With us is the creator of InstaFloss, serial inventor, and two-time founder, Ali Packhouse. This episode also is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. And I want to tell you about that before we get into this product journey, just very briefly. The RPM Experience is the fastest way for product VPs and leaders to help their product managers and everyone else that is contributing to product to get together on the same page and really improve their performance together. It's unlike other training that will create a foundation for success, build trust, and improve collaboration. Go to productmasterynow.com RPM to see how it can help you. Also, if you hear anything you want to return to or you want an easy way to share this information with your colleagues, we do create a detailed summary of everything we discuss. We also put together a one-page action guide to help you have a discussion with your colleagues as well as put into immediate action some of the key takeaways. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 456. Ali, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I I do love a good product story. Some days I get emails, like half a dozen emails asking, hey, I founded this company. I think this would be a really good story for things. And even though I'm a software, my background is software product management, I really like physical products. And I found personally, I've learned a lot more about product management from talking to colleagues that are are building physical products and what that is like for them. And InstaFloss was just fascinating because when I found out about the product, it's like a Duh, we've all wanted some solution to make flossing easier and faster. And maybe we should start there with kind of just what the product is. And then back up, where did this all originate in the beginning? So first, give us the summary of what this thing is today, floss.
1: Yeah, absolutely. First, I'll say that I think the big difference between uh, software and hardware is that for hardware, the first 1% takes 99% of the time. And for software, the last 1% takes 99% (laughs) of the time.
0: I, I can appreciate that.
1: Yep. <laughs> I found myself in a position similar to many people may find them, themselves in this situation. You're in a rush. You're trying to, you know, clean your teeth, get ready and flossing is just taking too long. And I was like, man, there's got to be a way to make this go quicker. And so I started this at the time I had already founded a company. We came out with seven products. So I'm a very mechanically minded individual. And I was thinking about this from a mechanical perspective of what could we do? And probably within the span of a week, like five other people came up to me and was like, hey, I hate flossing. Can you make products? Can you do something about that? And I was like, okay, now I really have to. So, I started digging into it. I started reading periodontal textbooks. I started uh, finding out what's available on the internet in terms of what is the problem? What are we trying to do? And I found that there's two – broadly speaking, there's two problems. Number one, in the United States, which unfortunately is uh, better as the at these metrics than most other places. But in the United States, number one problem is 70% of people regularly skip flossing. The second problem is that of the 30% of people who actually do floss, almost all of them are flossing incorrectly. If you look at the studies where you compare people who get flossed by dentists for a month and they floss themselves for a month, and you compare those two groups against people who don't floss. The people who get flossed by dentists see a dramatic change in their oral health, and the people who floss themselves are—they're much closer to the non-flossing group than they are to the flossed by dentist group. So it's can be discouraging. People do floss, and they go to the dentist, and then says, "You're not flossing. You're like I am." And they're like, "Okay, I don't need to. So this is nonsense." So broadly speaking, two problems. The—if we were to break down the first problem, people are not flossing. Seventy percent of people. Why? The top reasons they give are that it is number one reason above everything is that it is time consuming. It takes far too much time. It's already nighttime. You're getting ready for bed. You already congratulate yourself for taking the will to to brush your teeth. Man, you're going to floss too. That's just too much of an ask. Number two is it hurts. And number three, it's difficult to do correctly, which sort of bleeds into the second problem if no one's doing it right. So I looked at solutions that existed. And Water flossers have been on the market since the 60s, and there's about 50 years of research showing that they are more effective than string floss if done correctly. The issues are a few-fold. So one, nobody does it correctly. <laughs> In order to do it correctly, you have to hold the jet at a 90 degree angle, trace the gum line, do it on the inside. And if you're trying to get 90 degrees on the inside of your mouth, forget it. You're making a huge mess. You're not getting anywhere.
0: It's a messy thing.
1: You yeah, if you it, don't, and it's not mess. faster. And that's the number one thing. It takes even longer. So you take the number one complaint and you make it even worse. So I was like, what could we do if we take the number one complaint and we made it better? And not only that, but can we assure that you actually get the floss you're supposed to get? Because there's a difference between uh, efficacy and uh, effectiveness. Efficacy is if done correctly in a laboratory setting, perhaps what are the results and effectiveness is when you take it home <laughs> and what are the actual results? Because if someone thing is 100% efficacious, but people don't do it, it's 0% effective. So we have to create a floss that people will love, that will be quick, that will be automatic and will cover everything. And after five years, it's been quite a journey and <laughs> I'm happy to talk about it, but I believe we've accomplished that.
0: Okay, so tell us what is the form of the product today, right? This is it being, ma- it's being manufactured. I don't know if it's already in customers' hands or not, but describe the product as it exists today.
1: The insight is that in order to floss correctly, you need the jets at a 90-degree angle to the gum line, and they need to cover 100% of the gum line. The first iteration we actually had of this was a mouth guard. Hmm. So you put the mouth guard in, and then there's a bunch of jets pointing at various areas, and this should be great, right? There were two issues with this. This is quite a learning experience. We spent quite a bit of time in R&D chasing down this rabbit and eventually had to make the tough call, but now we have to back out and go to the the form I'm going to tell you next. So the issue with the mouth guard is twofold. Number one, the mouth guard is stagnant. So if you're pointing your jets at various places, you're pretty much only pointing them between the teeth. One of the biggest advantages of water flossing is that you can clean a full 360 degrees around the tooth. If you'd imagine a, a fence picket in the ground, in the dirt, your gum surrounds it 360. You don't have gums, paradontal pockets just between the teeth. You also have it all the way around the teeth. And so that's part of the advantage of water flossing. So with the mouth guard, we would only be able to get in between. The second thing is we would need to create a custom mouth guard for every individual, which means the product would have to be $900. And if the, and to make a product, more expensive for worse results it just didn't seem like a path that we wanted to go down. The breakthrough was what if we were to take a cross section of the mouth guard and move it across your mouth. Hmm. So, what we have is we have an H-shaped manifold. The top of the H goes over the top teeth. The bottom of the H goes over the bottom teeth. It spins around uh, in the middle which is attached to uh, your handle. The, the, the eight, This H-like thing moves around through the mouth. That's correct. It does the top, the front, the back, the bottom front, and the bottom back all simultaneously. It has 12 jets. The 12 jets are aimed at the correct 90 degree angle. So this way we can ensure 100% coverage at the right angle and we can do it in just 10 seconds. And the water pressure is adjustable. So we have made it take only 10 seconds. We have made it painless and we have assured proper coverage.
0: Okay. So there's a whole lot in here. The original insight, right, all products start with some insight. We, we learn from our customers the need that we can meet, some dissatisfaction. Our friends are running into some friction in their lives. We're running into something and we think, why can't there be a better solution for this? And it sounds like this was your personal experience. You happen to be encountering it with friends the and colleagues the, the same time you were thinking about it. So maybe some s- synergies there of, of the world telling you that there should be a better solution for this we think i think of at least a flossing as a friction in my life and the only reason i've been doing it and i've only been doing it for like 10 years or so and i think i must be doing a good job because the dentist always had good feedback for me but i started late only because the dentist was beating me up like this is really important chad i told you last time this is really important i've been telling you for years that this is really important right but we don't like it so you, you thought about approaches to this The water jet seems like something that maybe we can manage, and you went down that path. Were there other paths that you thought about before you got to water jet?
1: Yes, of course. I did a... like a deep dive into all the possibilities and so in back up from water jet the first thing we had was a mouth guard with, which is still on the water jet uh, situation but even before that the first thing you think of with uh, flossing is you think of string yeah and right. my, my initial sketches was trying to figure out ways to use automated levers and things to try to do that but that actually requires an insane amount of dexterity and not just dexterity but intelligence how hard how deep you don't want to cut you don't want to cause problems right <laughs> in your mouth Oh. I also looked into air as an as a medium, but that ended up being incredibly ineffective. You might as well not floss it at that point. I'm not going to say you might as well not floss. I'm sure do something better than not flossing. Like almost anything is better than not flossing, with one exception. Actually, over flossing is probably worse than not flossing, and that was actually a problem that we ran into in the development in our very early prototypes. It was not in the form factor that it is right now. And we had giant reservoirs of water because we're just like, we don't want to have to refill this and just let, let people use it. And we noticed that people were enjoying it so much, but they were used to flossing for two to three minutes. Now, if you do the math, insta-floss, 10 seconds with InstaFloss is the equivalent of two minutes or more with an alternative flossing method. So, if in Two minutes, there's 120 seconds. That's 24 minutes of flossing. If it's three minutes, that's 36 minutes of flossing. If you're doing 36 minutes of flossing two, three times a day, that is a big problem. That was like, sometimes when you solve a problem, you uncover a problem that you had not realized existed before. Mm -hmm. So we had to develop into the UX of InstaFloss a way to let people know the floss is over. And you should stop. And if you continue to do this, you need to know that you just flossed 36 times. You have to know that. Uh, So we built in a stop into it as well as a LED uh, feedback.
0: In that, did you consider having just a one-time use reservoir that you had to fill each time to mandate that?
1: That is also part of the, that is also part the reservoir has to be filled per use. So there's multiple pieces of feedback letting that you probably shouldn't be doing this.
0: Okay. Very good. Let's dwell on the prototypes aspects just a little bit longer. When you examine ways that people can floss and c- came across the water jet, learned that the degree, the angle has to be, uh, sound like it pointed properly at the gum to get that gum tooth line properly to floss, right?
2: We'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the rapid product mastery experience. In just nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, Product managers, teams, and leaders become product masters, creating more value for customers, their organization, and themselves. You will build a broad foundation of product management knowledge, get everyone on the same page, while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer, all resulting in higher performance. Participants feel empowered and more confident about their work. They learn how to create value for customers and revenue for their organization. One product leader who used the RPM experience across a global organization said it is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience and you'll find them listed at ProductMasteryNow.com slash RPM. Go to the same URL and schedule time to talk about how Chad and his team can help you and your organization. What
0: were early prototypes like? Did they start out as sketches on paper, computer simulations, make things out of foam? You went to 3D printing. What was the prototype journey? What resources did you have that you used?
1: Definitely it starts with pen and paper. It starts with the concepts. One of the first things that actually started with was math. We had to know what is the capacity for water jets in the mouth? What is the flow rate potential of the mouth? Um, How much power would that take? Is there enough power in a wall outlet To give you that or Mm -hmm. is our product going to require its own generator? (laughs) So once we were able to do the constraints saying this is how, oh, and and another thing is like, how much room is there in the mouth? Like how big, Mm -hmm. like if this device needed to be a certain size, like how much is comfortable? How much is possible and for who? So that for that, we were 3D printing various blocks and seeing just what is the extent we could fill the mouth (laughs) just to know what the constraints are on the uh, engineering. Now, obviously, you don't want to push it. To the maximum. You don't want to be like, okay, now this product is going to make you open up your mouth as wide as you possibly can and to the physical limits. Um, however, it's important to know uh, because if your product requires them to do something that is beyond the physical capability, then you no longer have a product. So we had to know where those constraints were. So first with sketches and was 3D printing some parts to get some measurements and then the math and the uh, electrical. And uh, then we started ordering just basic parts saying, okay, we're going to customize this later, but we need to see how this works. And, and then machining various parts out of metal, uh, which of course is not a mass manufacturing process. It's not something that we would ever do for mass manufacturing, but it worked very well with iterating prototypes. And then the next part of our journey, after we had something we thought theoretically worked, we're like, okay, now we need to know in order – we need engineering to go in the direction of science. You can have a floss in zero seconds if you don't care about the outcome. <laughs> so, if, if this was going to be a quick floss, it had to also be an effective floss. So, I started writing around to local scientists and professionals in the area of dental science, and I got connected eventually to Dr. Animas Mascarenhas, who – is the chair of the American Dental Association Council of Scientific Affairs. And she happened to be living in my city. So, I managed to get a meeting with her, with my co-founder, Dr. Ralph Roud. And we started showing her our diagrams and showing her the prototypes and showing her the constraints and being like, this is what we think we could do. We want to make sure now for our future engineering iterations that this is actually effective. And so, she guided us on a Long journey of testing and iteration in response to the testing. It started actually with flossing pigs before we even moved to humans. So we would, and content warning, this is perhaps a little gross, but it is science and there are certain things we have to do in order to know what's effective. So you can go to a pig butcher or butcher in general. I guess they don't just butcher pigs. And they tend not to sell many pig heads. So, you could get quite a few of them uh, fairly cheap. And then what we would do is we would cut the pig heads vertically so we could look at the uh, outside and inside of the molars at the same time. And then we would use our prototypes and we would floss the pigs, the pig carcasses, and then we would cut away the gums and look underneath and see how deep are we penetrating? How much are we cleaning? Are we missing any areas? Are our jets too far away? Do we need more jets? Is this, do we need to change anything? And we would iterate until we had something that we can demonstrate was, okay, this is really accomplishing something in a flesh that is very similar to humans. So we needed to do all of that. Before we could move to humans, because it's a uh, much more time consuming, much more expensive. And there's a lot more morals involved <laughs> with live humans.
0: More sensitivities.
1: Exactly. And so then we moved on, on to that. But to the whole pig process is just absolutely fascinating. And the whole process is something I would not have guessed, starting from the beginning. And I don't even know what I would have done had I had this information at in the beginning. But it's been five years Five years since we went from the sketches saying, I think this is possible to right now, I'm actually video calling you from Guadalajara, Mexico, where we are doing our manufacturing. And so, the units are coming off the line as we speak. Five-year process.
0: Wow. But yeah, five years to go from basically concept to manufacturable capability. The, the, the testing sound sounds very interesting, right? The testing with the, the pig heads, how many iterations was that or amount of time? I'm just curious, okay, we think we're on to something. We, we got connected to this doctor of dentistry to really help us have a testing plan. And now we're actually starting to try it in, in a real sense with real flesh and, and see how it works. And that's probably where you really find out a lot of things that you didn't know before.
1: Yes, absolutely. How long did that take, and how many iterations? Yeah. I'm not sure. I think it was probably almost a year of iterations. And okay. I, I can't count <laughs> what that was. but And we were iterating pretty quickly because we were doing machined metal. We're not building molds yeah. or mass manufacturing, anything like that. So it was a lot of prototypes. There's a lot of prototypes we went through.
0: And refining a long way. Give us some insights into the testing that got it to its final form. Because somewhere, people must have got involved in here.
1: So eventually we have to test it against humans and we compared it to three different groups. We compared it to people who use a manual water flosser. We compared it to people who use a string floss and we compared it to people who don't floss because you need your baseline. And. Luckily, that was actually a part that didn't even require iteration <laughs> because we had so much of a theoretical basis before going to the humans that we're able just to discover that everything that was on paper, that we looked at the data on what is the average uh, human teeth size, what is the average like gum distances, how big is everybody's mouth, what is the, the bell curve there, what can human flesh, what pressures can it handle, et cetera. So, a lot of this, we, we were able to piggyback on a lot of data that really informed us and then test with the parts that we had confusion about on the pigs. And then when we went to humans, our group outperformed all the other groups by a significant margin. And so, that is when we realized that now we are ready to move into mass manufacturing.
0: That's a pretty exciting moment to find out, right? It's a long yes. journey, pretty exciting okay. moment.
1: That's a, you know, a moment of truth, but there's a lot of moments of truth along the way, but that's certainly one of them.
0: Yeah. From insight to doing the the math work to see what, what might be possible here, considering some different alternatives with string flossing and, and water flossing and, and maybe even air, and then lots of prototypes, then some real-world testing, your control groups finally with humans. This thing looks like a winner. We're going to start making it. Along the way, you learned a lot, but there are probably some of those aha moments. And frankly, some of those are painful moments. Oh man, this was, I, I wish I would have known this a year ago or something. Can you tell us some of those things that came up that you really learned a lot from?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So some of it we've already touched on, such as the uh, various forms of flossing, air, string, water, etc. Uh, some of it was a sort of concept of how we deliver it—the mouth guard versus the cross section of a mouth guard that we can move, which is now mass manufacturable and cheap, rather than and better. But then something that I think that's all part of the inventive process—something that was something we did not see. In fact, not only did we not see, even people we hired. Uh, did not see. We hired a large uh, consulting firm in the US to see some of our manufacturing schematics. And there was a part that was supposed to be sonic welded. And the whole design depended on this. And the we had already built molds because the firm had assured us that this part could be sonic welded. Turns out it can't. And that is something that even experts in the field somehow missed. And so, we had to scramble and try to change our mold to get other ways to connect these parts. And that was a real large expensive headache. So, if any of your listeners are coming up with a hardware product for the first time, I would say that it is absolutely crucial that you have someone experienced with manufacturing on our team. Now, we did. And not only ourselves, but also our consultants. But I don't think that is contrary to the point. I think that actually highlights the point even more Mm -hmm. that if even when you have lots of experience, there are surprises. Think how screwed you're going to be if there's no one on your team with experience.
0: That, that, that's a big thing to occur, and especially when you're trusting on the experts that this is possible. And then the practical situation, you start doing the actual work and find out that we need to come up with something else. How much of an impact was that to the current design at that point? It
1: did not affect the experience for the user. This is some under the hood, just how do we connect two parts? So it ultimately, it didn't change anything in terms of pressure, how it worked. It was just some components inside. And we had to move from sonic welding to adhesives. And we had to run through probably 45 different adhesives because there are certain adhesives that would work, but we needed something food safe and FDA approved. And that really limited our uh, ability to uh, on what we could choose and that was probably almost a year of delay in terms of testing and trying to make sure it was
0: strong enough just from that so that added another year to this journey that's uh, certainly significant (laughs) okay a lot of time people look back on a entrepreneurial journey and say if i would have known now back then what this would actually be like i'm not sure back then i would have made that choice are we really excited we're manufacturing now you're down there overseeing this where are you in the journey because this isn't actually in customers hands yet and so you don't have that feedback which i think for a lot of us in product is is really exciting we're seeing the real world use of this and feedback where are you in that emotional journey
1: it certainly is going to be a moment of truth when people get it into their hands, but, but I'm actually pretty confident about that because we've been testing it and had users for these last five years. It's not like no one has had it. I, I do believe that we have a representative sample of what our customers are going to experience, so I'm excited for them to get it into their hands. But it still, of course, is going to be a moment of truth to make sure that we didn't mess anything up in manufacturing, to make sure that everybody gets the product <laughs> that we built and designed. I am glad that five years ago, I decided to go on this journey. Five years ago, I don't know if I would have made that choice knowing everything now. But if I knew everything now back then, then I could also have avoided a lot of obstacles. We, we could have accomplished right. this in a year or two. If I knew what format it should take, where the jets need to be, how they need to be aimed, how we're going to power it, how we're going to build it, how we're going to manufacture it, how we're going to adhese certain parts together. Um Yes. Oh, or I would have just gone and bought a bunch of Dogecoin. I don't know, but
0: Th- that might be a toss up. Not sure which one, w- one will end up doing better in the end. So Yeah. 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 If, you, if, if you have a
1: time machine, there's all sorts of stuff if you can, you can time do it, that sure. way.
0: Sure. Okay. And, and, and for you, I, I don't know how this started out in terms of, was this an interesting project to think about? When did it become real in terms of, yeah, we're, we're going to move forward making some, making a solution for this problem?
1: It's hard to give one specific answer for that because there are so many individual moments of truth. I think that when there was when I realized how big the problem was, I think that was like a oh my God, I need to pursue this. When I realized that not only is this problem so big, but there is a solution conceptually, it's like, God, I gotta pursue that, I gotta build something. When you then see that not only is there a solution, but you have a physical prototype that is delivering your solution. Now you're really certain. And then when you get a letter in the mail from the patent office saying the patent has been granted, now you know that you – now you could put money into it. Before, oh we there's a big problem, there's a solution, it actually works. But man, if we don't get a patent, then we're just going to be – we're doing all the work for some big company out there. And it's not a, a safe investment of time or money. But then the patent comes in you're like, now I'm committed. Now I'm pouring in my money. Now I'm asking other people for money uh, because now we can defend it. Mm-hmm. Then when you get the scientific results, when you get the bomb, when you get the the manufacturing costs. And right now, what I'm experiencing right now is the products coming off the line in mass. And that is a very real experience. And then soon, maybe in a month or two, I'm going to experience the feedback from customers as they receive it. And then... The, I'm going to experience ordering more and I'm going to experience contacting retailers and I'm going to experience growing the team. So all of these are very real moments and the real moments never stop because a journey. every step on the journey gets you to where
0: you're going. You can't say well, which step was most important. I'm so glad you broke that down for us, right? I think of it as a a stage gate-like process along the way. We're trying to learn something more to make that decision. Do we move to the next stage of work or not? Along the way, hopefully building our confidence and decreasing uncertainty. But there's lots of learning along the way. Is there a a key lesson that you and it might be too soon for this story, but if you were to, you've developed products in the past, legal products, this is another one that experience now there's something that you would do differently for the next product that you develop a lesson that has come up at this point that you go hey i now know to do this that i didn't know to do before
1: that's because that's a great question because there's definitely a lot that was learned for there was a lot that was learned for this but like for coming up with the next product other than specific knowledge because i'm trying not to give you an answer that's oh i happen to know a like a lot more dental science now than I did <laughs> in the beginning. And therefore, I could get to, to answers much quicker. Let me think on that. Let me think on that. And, okay. and if you don't mind, can we get back to that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, and we do have this private community where we continue this discussion on after the podcast time. And that might be a place where we can dig into this a little bit more for people in that community. If you're interested in being able to listen to such things, just go to productmasterynow.com community and you can find out about that but we, we always like those takeaways. Uh, another thing that we do like as well here is innovation quotes. And I asked you to bring one to us and just share what that means to you as well.
1: So I wouldn't say that this is particularly an innovation quote, but it's certainly something uh, that can be used in those times. So I don't know if anybody's read Calvin and Hobbes, but it's probably the uh, greatest right work. <laughs> it's probably the greatest work of uh, philosophy in the last 300 years, I would say. And in it, and I'm paraphrasing here, Calvin says something along the lines of "This is life's blessing, and this is life's curse. It's never so bad that it can't get worse, which at first glance seems like super like a super downer of a, of a quote. It's never so bad, it could always get worse. And however, I think that thinking about that is actually far more useful. Because when you're down, you're already thinking about everything that's going bad. You're like, oh, I, I ran out of money. I, my, I just had a key team member quit on me. The prototype's not working as I want. And so you're already thinking about everything bad. A way forward, I feel, is keep thinking. Think, okay, what could be even worse than that? Be like, oh, it would be even worse if the other people quit. It would be even worse if I just had an injury and I couldn't work on this thing that I need to work on. It'd be even worse if we made certain financial decisions and our financial situation was considerably worse than just mm-hmm. we ran out of investor money or something like that. And when you realize the things that could go wrong that haven't yet, you see the opportunities that you have to spring for- forward. You're like, okay, this hasn't gone wrong, so we could use that to go forward. We still have these people on the team and they're really smart and they could probably figure this out. And you know, we ran out of this money, but we still have certain opportunities. I could still work, I can still talk, I could still hit up various investors potentially which I couldn't do if something dramatically more worse (laughs) was going on. And so I feel like when you're going down, keep saying, okay, where can this go even worse? And that could rocket you to
0: someplace better. It actually provides an optimistic perspective by taking an assessment of how bad things are and where we could actually go. Calvin Hobbes was great and not necessarily a new cartoon, right? And when I was in graduate school, it seemed like all my friends were getting Calvin and Hobbes tattoos. That was some time ago, but... Luckily, nothing is permanent. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for sharing that one with us. I appreciate that. By the Thank time you. listeners are hearing this, InstaFloss will be available. What do you want listeners to know of anything? Finding it, finding out more information about you, about the company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everything that you could ever want to know about anything is on InstaFloss.com. So if you go to InstaFloss, like Instagram, but InstaFloss or an instant Floss, InstaFloss.com, all the information you need.
0: Thank you for sharing that link with us. It will be in the show notes. And to go back to the question about that key lesson, maybe something new that you learned through this journey so far. What do you think?
1: I think probably one of the biggest mistakes that I made, because I had made seven products before this one, is I did not anticipate how long it was going to take. I didn't anticipate how many details were going to be required. And and I already knew what went into making certain sorts of products. You know, I already knew about engineering and testing and prototyping and manufacturing. And so I started the journey with a lot less funding than actually would have been required. And. A lot of the effort (laughs) on my end was hobbling between the engineering and being like, oh, my God, we now have to go down this other path. But now, you know, the funding that we thought would be lasting us to the end is not there. Now we have to go do something else was quite a stressful thing. On one hand, you need optimism to join something. But on the other hand, you really need realism. I'm glad that we've managed to pull through. We've managed to get all the research. We've managed to do all the R&D. We've managed to build the molds and go into manufacturing and everything like that. But it would have been a lot more of a pleasant experience (laughs) if I had outlined and padded far more what the development would be. Now, you could say, oh, there's no way you could have known. And and you're right. There's no way you could have known. But you can always, I think it's always better to have more runway than less because you never know when you're going to need to keep moving on the runway.
0: Yeah, when you're doing something brand new, a new to the world product, There aren't good analogies to draw from to know what we might run into. But being aware of that is very important. I appreciate you sharing that lesson with us. Ellie. thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. And listeners, if you do want to find that detailed written summary of everything we discussed and that one-page action guide to help you put into action some of the key takeaways that we learned here, go to productmasterynow.com slash 456. Everyone, keep innovating.
2: Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.